Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. What's up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Women Make Waves podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today Bloom and I are sitting down with one of my good friends, Danny J. I believe this is the first ever TED Talk speaker that we've had on the show. And Oh my gosh, does she go above and beyond with everything that she has to share? Danny, or as she coined herself, Do Over Danny, talks all about the beauty and the grace and what we can learn from starting over. Whether or not we want to admit it, we have all had reality smack us in the face from time to time and has totally asked us to start over. So we talk about the gifts in starting over, gift being an acronym for grief, insight, forgiveness, and truth. We talk all about trauma comparison, the difference between get to and have to, and holy smokes, does Danny just reframe everything and give the most beautiful mindset shifts around starting over. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the show. And while you're listening, be sure to give the show a five-star rating and review in the app store so that we can keep getting wonderful, beautiful, amazing guests like Danny on the show. Until next week, enjoy the show. So might as well start it, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Welcome back to another episode of Women Make Waves. Bloom here with Linz and the marvelous Danny J. TEDx speaker, which is very Woo-hoo! exciting, um, and co-host, co-host of the Best uh-huh. Life podcast. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that that really encapsulates everything about you. So I would love to open the floor and ask, how are you making waves? Oh my gosh. I love it. So I, I like that this conversation starts with how are you making waves? Cause right before you asked and I was like, Oh fuck, I don't know. Um, but the really, the better answer is, um, and something I've been wanting to talk about is starting over and these conversations about like starting from scratch and having to, having to begin again. So like, I think 2020 really like put a pause on the entire world. And for a lot of people, it was like, go back to the beginning, go back to square one, whether people lost their jobs or just, I don't know, everything just changed. And I was in a really weird mental space as maybe a lot of us were in 2020. Um, I was speaking and traveling and everything got canceled. Um, all my speaking gigs were canceled. And so I was in this place and it was actually like, I kind of feel like I manifested the the lockdown because honestly, at the beginning of the year, I was it's like, I just, you. we're blaming <laughs> you. Danny. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was me because I literally said to my boyfriend at the beginning of the year, I just want to be in one place for four weeks. That's all I ask. Cause I have been living out of a suitcase for nearly three years, traveling constantly. And I was just tired. And so we literally got an Airbnb from March 1st to March 31st. And then lockdown happened in the middle and we like stayed in that Airbnb until June. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess I got what I wanted. I stayed in one place for four weeks, ended up being four months and um, just kind of continued. But during that time, you know, I had been going through a lot of tr- life transitions. Um, I've known Lindsay for quite a few years now and I was married and I got, went through a divorce and that was a big, like kind of life shaking moment um, to say the least. And so that really shook me. It, it really like took me away from like what I thought I knew, you know, I kind of thought I had everything down and it was like, okay, this is now I ended up moving to stay with a friend on her couch, like not knowing what to do next, kind of rebuilding my life. And in the midst of it, going through like this identity crisis of not only, um, like a marriage and a relationship, but then also my business, because my, my partner was part of my business. And he was also in a program that I used to sell. And, uh, the program was called master your money. And I was doing a lot of money mindset stuff. And I was talking to my boyfriend during 2020, just basically crying. And I'm like, I'm not a fitness guru. Like I, and I used to be in the fitness industry too. Very heavily. And so my fitness journey kind of led me to this money thing. And it kind of, there's been a lot of evolutions. And so I'm like, I'm not, I'm not like a fitness expert anymore. And I don't want to be a money expert. And I was like, I'm not an expert at anything. The only thing I'm good. The only thing I'm an expert at is starting over. I'm like, do over Danny. 
And like, I, I was crying as I said it. And as I said it, then I started laughing at my own stupid self. And I was like, that's kind of catchy. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Like do over Danny. And I started kind of playing with this idea. And as the more I started thinking about it, I'm going, you know, I was whining about myself, but the truth is, is everybody has to fucking start over sometime. And I hope I could say fucking, cause I just did. Um, <laughs> but I, you all, everyone has to start over during doing something, you know, whether it's divorce, moving, you lost your job. Um, you got an injury and you have to go back to the gym and like, or try to walk again. And like all of these things we go through. And so I really started to lean into that and going, you know what? The truth is, is like, I am an expert in starting over. I've had to do so many things. And so I ended up doing a Ted talk on it this year and just kind of the process of that. And what does it look like? Because I think there really is, I don't want to say a, you know, strategy of how to do it, but there kind of is like, you can, you can go through it really messy and have it suck and complain and fight your way through, or you can go, okay, this is my life now. And I can look at it as like a do-over, like instead of having to start over, I feel like that feels like a punishment. If you get a do-over that's like, all right, you get to try again. You get to do something new. You get to try something that maybe you didn't get to do before. And so I think there's a first, a mindset shift around it, but then also just going, okay, there's also steps in the process of starting over. And so that's where I feel like I'm making waves and really trying to talk about more and bring that up. And I feel like after 2020, we're all kind of in the midst of some piece of that. That's huge. Fun fact. I have a tattoo that says begin again. I got it when I was 18, I think. And yeah. Um, so as soon as you said that, I was like, Ooh, I, I feel this. I feel exactly what you're talking about. I do think that it is something that is massively overlooked and it's that mindset shift of, you know, you get to start over, you get to try something new. Um, but I'm curious for you, like, where did that process start in terms of shifting your own mindset in that way? Yeah. Well, first identifying it, I think, so I, you know, I feel like I've had to start over so many times. So kind of like more backstory on me was, um, I graduated college. I got my first job as an acrobat, which totally, you know, had to do with my degree. And, um, I worked at SeaWorld, um, at the show called Cirque de la Mer. So it was basically a Cirque du Soleil type of show circus acrobatics, no animals. And we were in mission Bay. So our show like has this stadium. And then we performed in like dot in the water there. Well, long story short, I got a bacterial infection from that water. Cause it's highly contaminated, which I learned later, uh, from lots of sewage from Tijuana and I almost died. Um, but it paralyzed me. And so I was in the hospital for about a month and I couldn't walk for almost a year. And so that was like my first really starting over kind of moment, because here I am an athlete identify as an athlete. This is all I do and all I know. And now suddenly I can't walk. And I went down this road of like massive depression of like, if I can't walk and if I can't perform, then what am I even here for? And I wish that honestly, I like wish it had killed me. And my doctors were like, you're so lucky to be alive. I'm like, not really. This sucks. Um, and then I had a good friend of mine, um, who was 18 at the time diagnosed with cancer and she was terminal and she came to see me after I got the hospital and I had answered the door. I was using a walker and she looked at me and she was like, Oh my God, Danny, this is so unfair. I can't believe it happened to you. And I just, in that moment was like, Jesus, like she's saying, this is unfair. I'm can live. I just can't walk very well. And here she is like with a death sentence. And that was my moment of going, I need to get my head right. And so I started, and I remembered, like I had grown up listening to all these like Wayne Dyer CDs and tapes and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, I got to go back to like a gratitude practice. And so I started to be like, okay, I'm thankful that like, even though I didn't, you know, can't walk, I'm still alive. And so I went through and started just doing all these gratitude things. And I started writing these affirmations and I had this, these like four by six cards and I had like hundreds of affirmations and I would have my mom drive me to the gym. And I was using a walker at the time. I'd go sit on a recumbent bike, put my affirmations on the front of it. And then I would just like push my legs around with my hands and just repeat these affirmations of like, I'm healthy and I can walk easily and effortlessly, even though I couldn't walk. And then just things about my life. And so that was really my first shift of seeing someone who was in a situation where she wasn't going to live. And I was kind of like having the pity party for myself. And so 
I would say that was like the very first time. And ever since then, I've kind of been slapped back to reality of when I've had the same thing happen. Like I lost my home with my ex-husband and we filed bankruptcy. And I was like, why me? Why us? And da da da. And then again, I went and I we lived with our friends. Like we had to move in. I was like, such a loser. I'm 30 years old living with my friends. And then again, I was like, shit, that lesson came back to me. And I was like, God damn it. Back to the gratitude. I'm like, well, I'm grateful we have friends to live with. I'm grateful I'm not homeless. I'm grateful that I have somewhere to go. And so every time it's been faster now <laughs> to where I'm like, okay, don't be an asshole. There's something you can see out of this. You, there's something you're going to learn. And I think those are the lessons from like the past. Like we all go through stuff and we can look back. And I would say this from, and I'm not going to say this is across the board, but I would say for the most part, at least years later, maybe not in the moment, but years later, most people who've gone through really hard shit, they can look back and go, that was one of the hardest things I ever went through and it changed my life. And it was one of the best things, you know, and I can say that for nearly everything that in the moment I was like, this is the shittiest, worst thing that ever happened to me. But looking back, I'm like, that was the best thing because if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be here. And so now when I go through these hard, shitty moments, I can have the perspective and go, well, I know that one day, <laughs> like this doesn't feel like it now. And I went through this with my divorce. I'm like, this is going to make sense someday. Like not today, not right now, but someday it's going to make sense. And someday I'm going to look back and be grateful. And it took a couple of years. You know, I remember even a year and a half in, I was like, nope, don't feel like it yet. But here I am now five years out and I'm like, yes, that was so transformational for me and made such a big difference in my life and allowed me to have the friends I have now and the relationships I have now, all of these things, these new people and new places I've been in the travel I've done never would have happened had I stayed married. And so I, I really think that it started from my friend dying and it's just this constant reminder of, we can always choose gratitude, even in the shittiest of circumstances, we can always find something in the middle of the shit to be grateful for. Damn. I think that is like, if anyone, if you guys stop listening now, you've got a gigantic nugget. Please don't stop listening, but <laughs> that's huge. I just went through, and I was telling you this the other day, um, my house flooded in San Diego and there was, I mean, it's sunny, what, 360 days a year in San Diego. So the one day that it decided to torrentially downpour for all of two hours, it was like 75 degrees on either side of this torrential downpour. There were no roofs on our apartments because they were redoing the roofs. And so talk about pity party. I was in the same place. I was like, I moved somewhere where I was just going to see sunshine all the time. And now you're telling me my house is fucking flooding. Like what the hell? And in that moment, I was like, obviously very, very angry and had very little gratitude. Thankfully, I had a lot of people in my life like Bloom to like kind of center me when I was spiraling out of control. Um, but in that moment, I didn't know what like the grand scheme of things like next move was going to be, but I knew that all I needed to do was like try to take the next best step, like mm. that next little step. And I'm curious if that's similar to kind of your strategy or what you were saying, kind of like step-by-step -step process of starting over and what that kind of looks like. Totally. Oh my God. I love that you said that because sometimes that's all you can do is just like the next best step. And sometimes even the next best step is you have two shitty decisions. And unfortunately you just have to make choices. Like, you know, when I was going through, um, my split with my ex, I was like, okay, so he had an affair and, you know, I could handle that and process it. And I was like, we can get through it. But if I chose to stay with him, I was going to have to, like, we were going to really have to work on shit, like trust and rebuilding trust. And like that, our relationship would be massively changed. If I decided to leave, then I have to start from scratch and maybe meet someone new and like go through that shit and still have to work on my trust issues. Right. So I was like, I have one shitty decision, it's going to be hard or another shitty decision. It's going to be hard. Both are going to be really hard, but just, you have to make some decision and, and like move forward and then just trust that you're going to figure it out. And I think a really big piece of this is self-trust. Um, but you know, one of the, one of the, the steps I say is grief. And so I call, I, in my Ted talk, I talk about the gift of starting over and gift is an acronym and G stands for grief. And I think there is a place where it's really important that we do allow ourselves to grieve. Like 
even with your apartment, you like, you have expectations. And so there's, I think it's important that we do allow ourselves to have that pity party and to have those moments of being sad and letting it go. Because I think when we don't process emotions, they get, they turn to disease, they lodge somewhere in your body. I mean, they just turn into some bullshit. So you got to process that. So allowing yourself to grieve and knowing that that's a true step in the process and not feeling bad. You know, I think there's sometimes we, I don't know, like spiritually bypass ourselves. Cause we're like, well, other people have it worse or it's not that bad, but if it's bad for you, it's bad for you. And you're struggling with whatever you're struggling with and your feelings are valid. So whether it's a big deal or not a big deal, like it's a big deal to you. And so, you know, grieving that loss, whatever that looks like, whether it was, you know, not getting the job you wanted even, or going through a miscarriage or something like you get to grieve that. And then there's insights. And so the eye is insights. And that's like, what, what are the lessons you kind of learned and took from it? So, you know, maybe with the roof thing, like, I don't know what kind of lessons you can come away with, but there's always something that you can come away with. Even if the lesson is like, I need to just get fucking renter's insurance. Yes, right, right. (laughs) Seriously. I actually just got robbed in Mexico. And that was my whole lesson. I was like, first off, I did everything I could. Like everything was locked. These motherfuckers were going to get stuff, whether we had it locked or not, but I'm like, travel insurance now that's going to be something I look at. Um, and then F is forgiveness. So a lot of times it's forgiving yourself, you know, of not knowing, not getting the insurance, not knowing ahead of time, um, or someone else. Like a lot of times people hurt us and, you know, forgiveness isn't really about what someone did was okay. Right. It's not like condoning a behavior or an activity. Like there's things that people do that are really unforgivable you know, like, but forgiveness is really about just letting that go. So you can kind of move on with your life. And then the last part of it is truth. And for me, truth, Tony Robbins says to look at things as they are not worse than they are. So when we're, we're humans and we like to catastrophize. So it's like, oh my God, I lost my job. Now I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to live in the street. And it's like, no, okay. You lost your job. Do you have savings? Do you have friends you could stay with? Like, let's not make it worse than it is. Let's just look at the reality of what it is. And so those are just some processes to go through, but going back to like the step-by-step thing that you mentioned is I really think that there's I call these the, like the three C's. So the first thing is finding something you can control. So when you, when you're starting over, it feels like everything's out of control. Like you didn't, you couldn't control the weather. You couldn't control what's going on. So finding something you can control. And even if it doesn't have anything to do with the situation. And so one example I mean of this is like, right after I found out my, my husband's affair, I was devastated. Like we had the relationship that everyone was always like, what's your secret. And so I was so blindsided. It wasn't like I, I don't know, I guess in my mind, how I think people or how affairs or how relationships end is like, there's the wife is shitty and she's a nag and he's, and so I was like, wait a second, this is not how I thought it would go. And so I was super devastated. All I wanted to do was like, wear my pajamas all day, cry, and go into a hole. And for whatever reason, I decided that every day I would wake up, get dressed, do my hair and do my makeup. And this is actually a big deal because even my normal life, I didn't because I work from home because so why, but it was something I could control. It was like the only thing I could control. I couldn't control what he did. It was already done. I was freaking out. There was a lot of uncertainty of, are we going to stay together? Are we going to get divorced? But the one thing I could control was getting up every day, doing my hair, doing my makeup, even though like within 20 minutes, I'd cry all my mascara off. And then there is consistency. Like once you can do that consistently, then you start to build your confidence. And when you are starting over, that's one of the things you lose the most is you lose so much confidence. And so if you can find something you can control and do it consistently, then you start to build your confidence back. And once you're building your confidence back, then you can, you know, go be unstoppable. But I feel like those little things, like doing the thing you can control consistently is what exactly what you're saying. It's kind of like doing the next step and it's gotta be something small that you can, can, you can control because everything else feels out of control. Like you can't control the weather. You can't control a diagnosis. You can't control losing a job sometimes. And maybe there are things you could have, but you didn't. And so back to like forgiveness, but then finding what you can do and then doing that as small as it is. I think actually the smaller, the better, because that's something you can handle like bite-sized things you can do. I love that. 
So, um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a functional nutrition coach. So a lot of my clients, um, the past year have had a really tough time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the pandemic and things closing and having all these weird changes. And that was something that a ton of my clients benefited from was literally just like, okay, you can control when you wake up in the morning and what you wear. So why don't we just not wear sweatpants and, you know, get into something that maybe feels better that makes you feel good. And it's incredible what that does for your confidence, like just focusing on those little things. Um, what was another thing for you that, you know, like maybe getting dressed or doing your hair and your makeup, what was another thing that helped you with that confidence? Well, I love that you said that and you encouraged this because I had clients when I was a personal trainer where I literally was like, before you come to work out with me, I need you to put on mascara and lip gloss. Like you just need to, because when you, even when you feel, when you feel like when you dress up or like put on makeup or hair, whatever it is for you, you feel better. And then when you feel better, you act different too. So I think that's so smart. And it is just, it's, it's about what you can control and it's about how you feel. So I know, and I know you two probably read about this or are in these kind of circles too, like feminine and masculine energy. And, you know, something I learned a lot about after, um, splitting with my ex. And one of the things that I learned from a coach was the masculine has to do good in order to feel good. So like if a guy, and I'm going to just use men, women, that's obviously we all have masculine feminine energy. So it could be different genders, whatever, but let's say like your, your man or whoever's in the masculine energy, if they are like not doing what they need to, like they need to go to fucking work, but the feminine needs to feel good in order to do good. And so for me, I, I started to learn this kind of like concept and I was like, dang, it's so true. Whenever I feel shitty, I'm not doing my best work. I'm not being my most creative. I'm not showing up well. So if I feel like sick or icky, or I'm not taking care of my body, then I'm not showing up well. So getting dressed, those kind of things help me feel better, but also just literally like asking my body what it needs, like taking lots of naps and sleeping and just like, I don't know, just going with the, like literally saying like, what feels good to me right now. And even making small decisions about traveling or going somewhere, you know, there's been certain times where I like to travel and I like to be able to like be on the go. And, and I'm, I would say I'm a recovering people pleaser. Like if I can do something for somebody, I I try to go out of my way, but then really getting in touch with myself and going, how does this feel to me? Like, if that doesn't feel good, then I'm not going to do it right now. You know? So I think some of those things are just like, what feels good to you and how can you do more of those things? Cause the more you feel good, the more you can do good. I call it a full body. Fuck. Yes. Like Mm. if my whole body is not screaming yes at me, then it's a no. Yeah. And it makes like such a clear distinction on like those little things you waver on and you start to kind of measure the like, well, so-and-so would really appreciate it if I did that. Or, you know, you can start justifying and rationalizing um, in that way. But as soon as you kind of draw that boundary line in the sand, it makes it quite, quite easy to distinguish what is a yes and what is a no. Totally. Except I'm in this weird place right now where I've been wanting a puppy for literally like a year and we've been looking like super seriously. So I fucking put a deposit down on this dog and I was so excited. I felt so much peace. And then the next day I freaked out and I'm like, I don't know if I want it. I'm scared. (laughs) So I'm going through this, like, do I get this dog? She's not available for a couple more weeks. And literally tomorrow we're going to drive like six hours to go look at her. So I need to know, like, I need to have a full body fuck yes when I see her. <laughs> Otherwise I'm like, I don't know if I could do this. You might be a sociopath <laughs> if you can look at a puppy and your body does not say fuck yes. <laughs> I know. I've I never know. heard of someone saying no. like, like what makes me think I'm going to drive six hours and, and not fall in love with a puppy, but what, you know, pup, what kind of puppy is it? She is a toy Aussie shepherd. Okay. Come on. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing though. This is, this is the thing. So I've been looking at all these mini Aussie shepherds and that was like where I was going. And then I saw this toy and I was like, Oh my God, she's perfect. But then my boyfriend goes, look on Instagram at all these toy Aussies are so ugly. And they were all grown and like, they looked fucking raggedy, like weird chihuahuas. And I was like, shit, she's going to be an ugly dog. I legitimately, my dog, and I think he's the cutest thing now. I'm sure that's kind of how like every parent feels, right? Like if you have like the homely kid or whatever, but 
my dog legitimately went through the ugliest teenage phase, like cute puppy, now cute adult. But there was a phase where I was like, I'm the only person on the planet that has an ugly doodle. Like I am the only person that has managed to find that. Um, poor thing. He's listening. He's laying right behind me. You're handsome now, baby. Um, but I'm sure your dog will be so cute. And I, I know it'll be a yes. I am curious though. You mentioned the three C's and then yeah. you said control and consistency, but what was the third one? Did I totally miss it? Oh, so actually, so control, uh, it goes control and confidence. And then the third one is celebrate. So, um, so I was saying consistency and that's kind of going along with confidence. So control, uh, confidence really is coming from the consistency of the things you can control. And the last thing is celebrate, which sounds like an S, but it's a C. And I think celebrating is really just about like really celebrating the small things. So, you know, when I was paralyzed and I started to walk again, one of my first, I I got so excited. I was like, I'm going to tackle the stairs today. And I was going to, I lived in a two-story house. And so it took me like 45 minutes to get to the top of the stairs. And I remember getting up there and I was like, yes, I did it. And I looked down over the like balcony. And I was so proud of myself. And then like the very moment I felt proud at the same time, I had this voice in my head that was like, you idiot, you were just an acrobat, you know, not that long ago. And why are you excited about climbing some stupid stairs? And that just like ruined that moment. And so I think celebrate is one of the pieces that we need to not skip. And that's looking at even the baby steps, even if you like already should have been there. Like sometimes we're going, well, yay, I'm finally out of debt, but I should have been there already. Or I finally am in a, in a house, but I used to live in a bigger house, you know, like even celebrating the small steps, even if they were like backwards and you were go- getting back to where you were, because if you don't celebrate those small things, it's so much harder to get ahead to the next one. And that's your life, man. Like I really was never a person to celebrate anything. I was constantly just going from one accomplishment to the next and never, ever, ever giving myself any credit for anything. And now I'm celebrating the smallest shit all the time. Like we have a podcast, we did a big old thing at a hundred episodes. And then like we did, you know, a, a big download celebration. And it's like every little thing now I freaking celebrate because that's, life can't be just skipped over and it's too short and beating yourself up for not being where you think you should be. Isn't helping you get there faster. So why are we skipping out on the celebrate part? When I had my elbow reconstructed after a competition injury, my first, um, PT goal was to be able to pick my nose without having to like pull my arm up. And so I like came home, I was in partnership at the time. I was like, babe, look what I could do. And I like immediately start picking my nose. He's like, you are disgusting. (laughs) I was like, celebrate with me. This is you. Yes. Um, (laughs) It is the small things too. And I think it's more fun when you do celebrate those. You just, I don't know, back to building the confidence, it builds up more confidence and it just, I don't know, it makes starting over a lot more fun instead of this drag, because I've been there so many times of beating myself up if I shouldn't be here by now. And it's like, well, you are, you know, this is where life is. And the truth is just because you get set back does not mean you, it's going to take just as long to get to where you were. In fact, very often it takes a lot less time and you can be catapulted forward. Like there's some kind of meme or quote that's like an arrow has to be pulled back before it can be shot forward. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, thank God, because I was like, I've been pulled back so much and I'm never going to get to where I was. I'm like, oh, it took me until I was 30 and then I lost everything. Now I'm not, you know, I'm going to be 60 and still barely scratching to get to where I was at 30. And that's not how it works. Like life can change very, very rapidly. Sure. Like you could lose everything rapidly, but you can also get so much. Like I was just at dinner last night with um, a guy named Alex Ramosi and he's got a big book on, I don't know, hundred million dollar sales offers or something. And he was talking, him and his wife were like about to file bankruptcy. They were in this crazy ass situation hole and we're throwing in the towel and he came up with this crazy idea. It ended up working and they turned things around to where they needed just to get back to like baseline 150,000 in profit, like by the end of 30 days, or they'd have to file bankruptcy. And they ended up getting 350,000 in like profit that month and then turning into a $26 million business that year. So, you know, things can look very, very dismal and dim, but they can also turn around so rapidly and you don't know how and when. I feel like that's 
every story you ever hear, right? Like I was the Harvard dropout or I had this and I'm like, man, every hardship I get, I'm like, maybe this is the one. Yeah. (laughs) This is the one that makes me a millionaire. (laughs) Totally. totally. Uh, One of the things that you were saying that kind of reminded me of this, and I'm curious if you um, found yourself in this place. I will try to like compare my trauma when I'm going through really hard things. And it almost makes me feel shameful Mm. for feeling bad about what's happening in my life. Right. Like I will create some story like, yeah, I'm going through this, but it's not world hunger or like, but it's not this like totally tragic thing. A, did you go through that? And B, if you did, like, what is kind of some advice you might have for somebody that's trauma comparing? Yeah, it's so, it's so good. I mean, like obviously my original story with my friend Kelly dying, that was like the first thing that helped. It ended up helping me. Right. Cause I was going, well, she's dying. I'm not. And so it got me to like kick my own ass in gear, but in general, it does, it's not very helpful because your life is your life. I mean, we can all look at someone worse off than us and someone better than us, you know, better off than us. So it's not fair to go, well, you know, (laughs) I can't, you know, I can't hit my goal of like getting my Lexus this month, but that's okay because someone else, you know, isn't even eating. It's like one thing doesn't have to do with the other thing. And I really don't believe there should be limits on, um, on our achievements or our goals either. So when we do that, we're also like basically saying we're only allowed to play small and we're only allowed to like, we're not allowed to want more. We're not allowed to want nicer things. And so that doesn't make any sense. And that doesn't feel good either. You know, I, I've been doing a lot of the last couple of years, just like breath work and, um, did some plant medicine ceremonies and things like that. And in a recent like breathwork ceremony I did, um, what really came to me was I have been really playing small. And I think a lot of us do in this and, and subconsciously this effort to make other people not feel bad. And, and I kind of saw this idea of like, my ancestors and all the people before us, all of the things they worked so hard for us to get. And it's like, how dare we go? Well, I know like you fought for our freedom and I'm just going to like, not, you know, worry about that. Or like all these inventions that were made, like Henry Ford created a car. And then the like, we learned how to fly and we're going into space. Like, why are we suddenly going, you know what? Thanks for all that work you did, but we're just not going to even take advantage of that or appreciate it. It feels like we're almost shitting on all the work the people did before us. And that feels really crappy. And I'm, and I think that our ancestors and everyone who came before us probably always wanted better for the next generation, for the next group, for the next people, for the next people. And I think ultimately the only way we can really elevate each other is by elevating ourselves first. So by us I don't know, by us having a good life, we're giving other people permission to have that. But at the same time, like on the flip side, which is the trauma comparison is just because someone else is having a shitty day doesn't mean you have to have one too. And I remember Wayne Dyer saying like, you can't be broke enough to make someone else not broke. You can't get sick enough to make someone else better. So for you to like feel worse, cause you feel like, I can't sit here and get AIDS. So someone else cannot have it. Like that doesn't make any freaking sense for someone who's going through bankruptcy. Like me not spending money doesn't help them get out of their bankruptcy. Like we all have to help ourselves and learn how to help ourselves. So feeling bad about what you're going through, or maybe saying it's not the worst is it's your life. You know, it's your, it's your worst right now, or it's your scenario. You can look at it with, from perspective and like the tea and gift is like the truth of it. Like, let's look at the reality. We don't have to really catastrophize what's happening, but you can grieve it and you can take your lessons and you can go, Hey, you know what? I'm really blessed that my life isn't as shitty as what's going on. And so instead of feeling bad, I'm going to make the best of it because the better I can be like the next generation and the people who are watching me can be elevated as well. And so I really think it's our responsibility to be honest is to do more and be more and show that we can. I used to have this guilt about, I went to Belize in 2013 to this orphanage. And I mean, a lot of the girls there were rescued from sex trafficking. They were not going to really get out. They didn't have, they didn't have the opportunities that we had. And I would sit here being in the States and, you know, complain about the patriarchy and like how women don't have, we're not as equal and da da da. And it's like, that's true. But 
like as a woman in America, I have so many more opportunities than those girls in Belize do. Like, why am I shitting on the opportunity I do have? So I'm going to try to run with all of that I have now and still keep trying to smash the patriarchy and like, you know, whatever it is, what it is, but sitting there and going like, I have nothing and, and every, everything is against me because I'm a female. That's not the truth. The truth is there. I mean, there are differences, but I'm, I'm better off than someone else. And me sitting there, like, isn't helping those girls. If the best thing I could do is be massively successful and then send my money to that orphanage and help those girls out, like take the opportunity I have been given and then help the people who don't have it. So I love that concept. And it's something that I've worked really hard on this past year, um, with building a business, this like idea that I can be successful, but then also that I am the person that can be considered, you know, like the expert or an expert. And I think that for a lot of us, um, a lot of people in general, like we don't feel like maybe we deserve to have those like really big things because maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we're Mm -hmm. like not that person yet. And I'm curious to know for you, like, did you ever experience that? And maybe what did you do um, to get out of that? Yeah, definitely. I think deservingness and not being enough is such a human, um, (laughs) like a human belief in general. I think some people more than more or less than others, and I think a lot of that comes from our upbringing, you know, religion, we were brought up in how our parents, you know, raised us. I think for me, you know, I didn't, we weren't raised with money. My dad had a gambling addiction. And so there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of like junk around money and, and deserving and having nice things, even, you know, like my mom was very much like we can get, um, the generic, it's not about name brand. And so it was almost like if I were to get something nice, I would feel weird about it. And I remember even it, I was an adult and I had already gone through some really shitty hard times. And I finally decided I'm going to like do something nice for myself. I really wanted a Range Rover and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy it. And I'm like 35 years old and, or 34 or something I'm going to buy. And it was used and I was going to buy it cash. Like it was $12,000, not even expensive. Like it was a used Range Rover. Right. But in my head, I'm like, it's a Range Rover. It's an, you know, it's a luxury car. And what is my mom going to say? So I just was like, I almost didn't get it. I almost got like a fucking Kia. Cause I'm going, well, wh- like subconsciously, what are my parents going to think of me buying this like nice car? And like, why should I spend the money on that? So finally I got on my own head and I was like, Danny, you've been wanting a freaking Range Rover, get the damn car. So I bought the car, called my mom to tell her. And she's like, I told her that I got a car. She goes, Oh, what is it? And I was like a Range Rover. She didn't say anything. She didn't even know what a fucking Range Rover was. And here I had made this whole story in my head about like, Oh, I should just get something more reliable, like a Honda and no name brands and blah, blah, blah. Bitch didn't even know what the car was. (laughs) So like sometimes we make up these stories and like this, there's so much from childhood. And so as far as dealing with it, it's been a process. Like I've gone to hypnotherapy and done sessions with coaches and every single level, like they say, new level, new devil. I think we get to, there's a book um, called the big leap and they talk about your upper limit. Right. And so I think we all have these upper limits on where we think we can go, what we think we deserve. And I think one of a couple of the things that I've done is coaching and, and like therapy and that kind of thing, but also like being in rooms where people think bigger and have more. So going to masterminds or hanging around people. Like when I grew up, it was really weird to talk about money. So to like, say a salary, it was very hush hush. Like we don't talk, you don't talk about how much money you make. Well, I'm in rooms now where we're like, Oh, I did this launch. It was $40,000. And I did the, like, we just say money in dollars amounts and it's not a big deal. It's a normal conversation. But when I first got around those people, it was very uncomfortable for me to talk about these kind of things. And even the amounts they would say, they were saying amounts that that's like how much I would make an entire year that someone would make in one launch or one sale. And so I had to wrap my mind around it, but as soon you do it more and more and more, then you get used to it. It's kind of like just being, um, having those conversations, suddenly it's a new norm, right? And then your new norm is like maybe seven figures. And then you start hanging around people that are like talking about doing hundred million dollar deals. And you're like, what the hell? But soon you're hanging around those people. And that seems like the norm for you. Like you, maybe you hit 20 million and you're like, oh, okay, I can see it now. So I think one of the big pieces about deservingness is trying to change your environment and get around people who maybe 
do like those things that kind of scare you or trigger you, like maybe wear those nicer clothes or drive a nicer car or, or talk about money. And if it's uncomfortable for you, like lean into that and maybe kind of ask why, and then maybe do some coaching or hypnotherapy or, or counseling around that. But I think shifting who I've been around and um, being really consciously aware of like that it was my old conditioning that's stopping me and not like anything about me and, and really having to dig and do some of that old junky work from childhood, you know, to go like, why do I feel undeserving or why do I dim my light or why do I feel like I need to hide? And most of the time you uncover all this crap from childhood that you didn't you didn't choose, you know, it got dumped on you and you took it on and you're like, Oh, like I'm wearing this backpack full of rocks. And you're like, wait a second, like I should just take this shit off. But I think it's, it starts with self-awareness and, and then trying to shift who you're around and like making things more normal that maybe weren't normal before. I love that. Um, I worked with a business coach last year and she calls it like getting in rooms with expanders, like people that Mm. really are making you expand your um, you know, like your beliefs around how it should be and shoulds in air quotes. Cause like me and Lindsay hate that word, but, um, yeah. I love that you said that just because that is, that's something that I see even in the functional fitness space, even with my nutrition coaching clients, like putting yourself in a room with people that think differently than you're currently thinking is such a huge opportunity for growth. And I think we often overlook it because we're like, well, we're not there yet. Like once I lose five pounds, then I'll be ready to do whatever it is. Or, um, once I, I don't know, once I have this like extreme clarity around what I want to do in my business, then I'll be able to like join that coaching group or join that mastermind or whatever it is. Um, well, and getting rid of those narratives is fucking scary. It's all you've known, yeah. right? Yeah. Like whether or not it's your story to carry you're, you know, we talk about break, having the courage to change your mind. And I think so many of us are told for so long to like make a decision, stand by it, do all these, like, if you're wavering in it at all, then you're not confident in what you're preaching or selling or anything like that. And I think changing your mind is like a, superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you kind of found as you went, went down this journey and you said plant medicine. So my little like hippie senses started tingling. <laughs> um, but what was kind of like that first step of courage for you to be willing to even look into these narratives and ask yourself if they were yours or not? Yeah. So, okay. So real quick back to what Bloom said about like the body stuff. I was just at a doctor's appointment before this and the front desk girl, I just overheard her say, yeah, well, once you turn 30, it's so much harder to lose weight. And I was like, and they were like, yeah, I agree. And I was going, why is, why is that a thing? Like 30 is so young to me. I'm going, I haven't had any issues, but there's, there's narratives around your body. Like I remember growing up, my grandmother had gastric bypass. My mom was very overweight. My uncle had gastric bypass. I thought I was doomed to be obese. And I remember my mom constantly saying to me, like, you're going to have to watch your weight. You're going to have to. And so I had this crazy like obsession. And one of the reasons I was in the fitness industry and nutrition was because I was so scared of being that. And then I realized it was just a damn story. Um, But going back to realizing that it was a story was uh, I had a social worker when I was 15. I got pregnant when I was in high school and I ended up placing my daughter for adoption. Um, And just side note, she's the the editor and like producer of our podcast now, which is really cool. So it's a cool, really full circle thing. Um, but my social worker at the time, she was so amazing to me because I was going through so much at home, as you can imagine getting pregnant in high school and I was Mormon. And so that's like a whole other level of like, add the religious shame on top of, you know, all of that. But she, I would go to her every single week and she was basically a counselor and helping me find my daughter's parents. But she was like, Danny, you've been programmed. Everyone in your life has been programmed. Your parents have been programmed. She's like, but you can reprogram. She's like, it's like a computer. So when you program a computer, it's going to spit out and do certain things, but you can rewrite these programs and they can do something else. And so that's where I started to really learn about these affirmations and listening to all these people. I mean, I was in high school when I started to kind of go down this crazy personal development journey, 
but I learned very early about rewriting your story and reprogram. And for me at the time, it was, I called it reprogramming. Now I call it rewriting your story, but whatever you want to call it is we do, we are able to like, look at the narrative and go and like, really look at it and go, is that true? Like, I've been saying this, I've been living it. Like I've been saying it's hard to lose weight after 30, but is that even true? Like, can I find evidence of people who lost a lot of weight after 30? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, um, for me, it started early, just knowing that there was some programming and becoming aware of it, but unfortunately with programming and with just kind of living out our lives is we don't, we don't really become aware of it unless we're trying to become aware of it. You know, we don't see there's a problem. I mean, it's like the, take the red pill or the blue pill. Like you can just live one way and never think anything's different. And your life is your life and not expand, Or you can decide to like really take a hard look at yourself and go, why do I believe this? Is this actually true? Is this, can I find any evidence that it's not true? And if I can, then it can also be not true for me and I can find a different way. And some people, and it's totally okay, don't want to look at that. They don't want to face that they could do something different because often it is easier to just make the the excuse and say, well, I'm 35. I can't lose the weight anymore. Or this is how it is. This is how my family is. This is how our genes are. This is how we lived with money. Like people like me don't get those kind of opportunities because unfortunately, sometimes when we see other people successful and doing things we want, we, if we're not there, we want to make excuses for why we're not there because it sucks. And so it is a hard journey to like, start to look at yourself and, and think that you had part in why you are where you are. I mean, that's, that's a sucky thing to be, but also it's powerful because if you have part in it, and if you're one of the reasons why you're there, you can also change it. So it's a double-edged sword, but if you want to live a life of like, you know, making changes and getting bigger and growing, you're going to have to look at some hard things and look at some patterns and go, yeah, maybe that wasn't mine. Maybe there's something I could do different. I feel like Lindsay does this on purpose, but we always bring it back to personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Every, I feel like almost every conversation we have is around um, a little bit, at least in being able to take, you know, the power back in why we are where we are. And I think for a lot of people, you know, like we can't control the weather. We can't control all of these other aspects of our life, but there is always, like you said earlier, and like we've been saying, you know, throughout this conversation, there's always something that we can control. And that I think is such a really, really cool part of the human experience is that we're always going to be able to find something and whether or not we maybe like the thing we can control is completely different. Um, but I just love that you kind of brought that into this conversation today. Yeah. Thanks. I think that ultimately you know, like you said, we can't control the weather. We can't control a lot of things that happen, but we can control our attitude. We can control how we react. And it's the, and I think it's kind of life's big joke on me personally, because, um, in 2016, I was doing this mastermind that was, um, like a public speaking mastermind. And I was going out to Philadelphia five days a month for five months. And I was working on this keynote talk and my whole keynote was basically, you can't control what happens to you. You can only control how you react. And I kind of like told the story about my friend Kelly and being paralyzed. And then literally the last month, um, I come home and then find out about my husband's affair. And I remember just this moment, like in my head going, you can't control what happens. You can only control how you you react. And I was like, mother fuck. I like, I just wanted to like slash his tires and burn all his clothes and find this girl and punch her in the face. And then I kept hearing this, like this narrative, you can't control what happens. You could only control where you react. And I was like, damn it, damn it. And I was just like, okay, this is your test, Danny. Like, do you really believe, can you practice what you preach? And I was like, I had this such this fight in my own head. Cause I'm like, I don't want to practice what I preach right now. I want to react. I want to go lash out and be crazy. But looking back, I'm glad that that came into my mind. And I was like, okay, I can control this right now. Like I'm not happy. And there were definitely like, I did smash some things, but you're <laughs> I like, didn't... I can control how hard I punch her. <laughs> exactly. I like, I did smash some photos and like throw a mug across the wall, but, um, ultimately I had to go, okay, this is like, 
this is where I'm going to look back and regret how I behaved, or I'm going to like take control over this and just take it slow. And, you know, there's definitely times and things where you're going to react. You're going to fly off the handle, but you get to go back and go, okay, now take a deep breath. And like, let's look at this a little differently. And so the, the truth is we do get to control that and we can't, and I can't blame him. Like you made me do this. No, like nobody makes you do that. And you know, it was, my mom taught me this when I was young and she probably hated it, but there was a time she was like taking some self-esteem class. And so she taught us like, cause I was like, you made me mad or my brother made me angry. She's like, no, your brother can't make you angry. You choose to be angry. And then there were times where we get in a fight and she said something to me like, you're making, and I'm like, mom, you can't, I can't make you do anything. And I think I threw it back in her face, but it was a great lesson as a child to go. Nobody can make you be or do anything. And it may feel that way. Like it definitely can feel that way that somebody makes you angry and it doesn't feel like a choice in the moment. And sometimes we do have reactions. Like there are literally, you know, reactions to things, but at some point and some time and place, you are able to make the choices and control. And so sometimes there's like a very small gap and sometimes we have a little more time to breathe and think about it, but ultimately we do have choices and that's the beauty of things. And we can turn things around and our life can suck really bad. And we can look in the mirror and go, I'm the reason why it sucks and change it. Or we can go, I'm in a shitty situation and I'm going to look at it differently. And that is a choice too, of just going, this sucks, but how else can I look at it? Maybe this is just, this is temporary or this is something I'm going through right now, but I'm going to get out of it. So ultimately we still have the choice, maybe not what's happening, but we can look at it in another way. So those of you that can't see Danny, she is actually holding a mic and I like know it's expensive. So I don't want to tell you to drop it, but all of me (laughs) wants to be like, do an actual mic drop. Um, If people want more of the tea you are serving or to watch your Ted talk, get connected, where do they find you? How do they do it? Yes. The best way is on Instagram. I am Danny J D A N N Y like a boy, the letter J and then spell.com D O T C O M. So annoying. I know. Um, but in my Instagram bio, I've got like links to my Ted talks and some freebies and some money stuff and, um, and all the things. So definitely find me on Instagram. Cause that's probably the place I like to hang out the most. I know. Like I tried to do TikTok for a second in 2019 and then I was getting such weird people there. So I want, I like, I need to have the TikTok creativity. I don't have it. I wish I did, but I don't. So Instagram is where I'm at. Hell yeah. I keep trying to figure out my TikTok too. And I just find myself like harping on everyone else's. And I was like, I can't just have a TikTok of me making fun of everyone else on TikTok. But <laughs> maybe that maybe that's my angle. Maybe that's it. <laughs> that there might be my I know that might be my stick too. I'm like, just yeah. point, point, just watch, point. Yeah. Do the Macarena and like point <laughs> yeah. at things. Yes. Oh man. Lindsay has perfected that dance. I have. Oh my God. I make fun of it. So dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly the one. Yeah. Oh, man. I thought it was the hand jive at first throwback for like any oh. of our <laughs> listeners that are under the age of, I don't know, 30 that don't know what the hand jive is. Go watch Greece, figure it out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone knows now. I hope so. Oh. If I not, hope. that's your homework. Danny, thank you so much. Thank you ladies both so much. I appreciate it. And I hope to see y'all, you know, on the interwebs. Hell yeah. Yep.